Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning, whether you're with me here in the room or you're joining us online. It's just good to be together, and I'm uh, looking forward to jumping into God's Word with everybody. And before I do that, though, I want to offer some thanks to our next-gen student minister, Zach Leslie, for the awesome message that he delivered last Sunday. Uh, yeah, let's give it up for Zach. That was wonderful. I really appreciate him. And uh, if you haven't told him, uh, uh, tell him how much you appreciate uh, what he shared last week. That was just really, really, uh, really great. I don't know if you've seen, uh, Happy New Year, by the way, speaking of New Year, uh, I don't know if you've seen these memes uh, over the last year and now coming up this year, but 2020 was a rough year, but then there are some cynics among us who've decided that maybe 2021 should, should just be considered 2020 W-O-N, 2021. And now, even as we're moving into 2022, there are some folks who might say, oh, guess what? It's just 2022, right? Who wants to reject that uh, whole idea, right, for the, next, uh, for the next year? That's right. But let's all admit, no one can deny that the last couple of years have been trying, and for many, truly tragic even. And you may be approaching 2022 with great ambition or ongoing anxiety or perhaps just resigned ambivalence. Any of those could potentially be understandable uh, approaches. But before and above all of that, I want to give you this morning a lens through which we can see this new year. This message this morning can be summed up like this. Jesus Christ wants to be Lord, not only of your life generally, but of your 2022 specifically. Now, in one very real sense, when we name Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives, we are making a lifetime decision. Absolutely. And in an even higher sense, Jesus is ruler and king of all creation. He's above all things. He holds all things together, as Paul wrote to the Colossians. But there is a deeper and more immediate sense of the lordship of Jesus in our lives. And that deeper sense is comprehended and applied in an ongoing way. The question that we ask, will I make Jesus the Lord, the, the captain, the commander, the boss, the judge, the director, the instructor, the overseer, will I make Jesus the leader of my day-to-day, week-to-week, my months, my year? And all the goals and decisions and relationships and events and trials and triumphs that it will contain. Will I keep choosing to make Jesus my Lord. He wants to be the Lord of our lives generally, but He also wants to be the Lord of our 2022 specifically. So, here's what we're about to do for the next few minutes. Some of you, if you like to take notes, you might find this sermon a little challenging because we're going to move at a pretty quick clip as we begin to look at what does it mean when I make Jesus the Lord over different areas of my life, and what does that look like? So you might just want to kick back and let it all come to you, and then maybe later you can watch online, and if you want to take a few notes, uh, that might be a better way to go about it. But we're going to buckle up here and go through a few different things. As I was praying about, Lord, how do you want us to begin this year together? 
I have a few things here that all fall under the rubric of what does it mean when we keep making Jesus our Lord? And there's, I left just as much on the cutting room floor as I put in the sermon. So I have a lot of things that I feel like the Lord has uh, given me to say. So are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready too. Here we go. Number one, when Jesus is increasingly the Lord of our lives, our vocations look less like work and more like worship. Whatever our work looks like for each of us, and we all would approach this subject from our own angle, our occupation, we will spend a huge amount of our time and energy at it. Making Jesus Lord of our work means making our work an act of worship to Him. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 3, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ, he says, you are serving. So whatever work is in front of us to do, Paul is reminding us that ultimately that work is done for the glory of God and it is the Lord Christ that we ultimately serve. So our occupation becomes an offering, and we do it well and with our whole selves precisely because we want it to reflect and be ple- reflect God's glory and be pleasing to Him. Now, whether that occupation uh, earns a paycheck, uh, you may be retired, you may be raising children, that's irrelevant. What whether it earns a paycheck or not, your occupation, the work put in front of you to do, whatever season of life you're in, uh, needs to be done for the glory of God. Uh, Whether your current work feels like just a job or it's your career and your calling and you found that and you're in that groove, either way, whatever that work is, whatever job is in front of us, when Jesus is Lord of that work, then our labor becomes an expression of love for Him. So that's, that's just one way that the, lordship, the increasing lordship of Jesus in my day-to-day life will affect one area of my life, my vocation. Here's another area. When Jesus is increasingly becoming the Lord of my life, obedience looks less like denial and more like devotion. We may tend to think of obeying Jesus and even the holiness that that can cultivate in us. We may begin to think of that as an exercise in draining our lives of fun and pleasure. Has anyone grown up with any impression uh, given to you that perhaps following Jesus was just meant to be a denial of all things fun? A list of things you're not supposed to do. Most of those things look pretty tempting. And that that is somehow the definition of a Christian life. That's what discipleship to Jesus is meant to look like. But hear these words from Jesus himself. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Now Jesus is touching something here that for us as people who've said yes to Jesus, and maybe that's not quite yet you today, that's awesome, I'm glad you're here. If you've not yet said yes to Jesus, or maybe that was so long ago it feels like it never happened, and you're just not sure, you're checking all this out, I'm so glad you're here, I'm, uh, whether you're with us online or you're here in the room, I'm so glad that you're listening in, you're, 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 you're giving this some serious thought. 
But if you have said yes to Jesus, for those of us who have, Jesus is touching on something here. The driver, the motivator of my adherence to what Scripture says is not fear and anxiety, staying on God's good side or whatever, but love and appreciation of the goodness and beauty of Jesus' teaching. It's feels a lot less like, oh, denial, like here's all this stuff I'd really like to do, but I guess I'm a disciple of Jesus, so I'm not going to be able to do it. It feels a whole lot more like devotion to him. I obey him precisely because I love him, and I have found his teaching to be very right and good and true. Paul says to the Philippians at one point, I consider everything a loss Because of what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. That's what what lordship does. When, when, When we name someone our Lord, we realize that in the gaining of that Lord, we've deemed that person worthy of being the Lord of our lives, whether that person's us, right? Someone else or Jesus. We've decided that they're worth it, and nothing else quite compares to them. That's part of what lordship would mean. When we make Jesus our Lord, Paul says, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. In other words, yeah, self-denial is absolutely part of what it means to follow Jesus. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But here's the difference. We want to do it. Because that self-denial is an exchange for something and someone so much better. That when you and I begin to spend our time focusing on Jesus, His goodness, His truth, His beauty, then we we will be surprised at the things that we will begin to leave behind. We'll just let go of. Things that used to draw us now seem to not matter. Things that used to tempt us begin to fall away. Things that used to occupy us, now I've been replaced by an occupation, a a transcendence, and that we're transfixed on that. The beauty and the goodness and the truth of Jesus. So obedience to Jesus looks a lot less like denial. Here's all the stuff I don't get to do anymore. And a lot more like devotion. Here's all the stuff I get to become thanks to my Lord. When Jesus becomes increasingly the Lord of my life, the world that I live in and the people who are in it, the world looks a a lot less like a fight to win and a lot more like a field to harvest. Jesus looked on the crowds with compassion at one point in Luke chapter 10, and after he sees those crowds, he turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And of course, the implication of what Jesus is saying here is that you will become the answer to your own prayer. Lord, send out workers into this harvest field, and we will also begin to find ourselves saying, Lord, send me. Uh, Count me, equip me as a worker in your harvest field. That you begin to see, that I begin to see those around us, this world we live in, a lot less like a fight we have to win and a lot more like a field, compassionate. We see them with compassion and we see this as a field awaiting harvest. You've probably noticed in our world today, debate has become almost a native 
language for us. And there are important issues at play in our world today that demand serious thought and even deep conversation. But what we have to remember as disciples of Jesus is that our first motivation when we see this world we live in is to be compassionate. There's there's another point in which Jesus sees the crowds and the Gospel writer tells us that He sees them and He's moved with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. That we, when we see this world we live in, are reminded that we too were once sheep without a shepherd, as clueless and as unclear in our minds and in our hearts as anyone. And that what we need is not to win an argument, what we need is to win a soul to Jesus. That what we, the only difference between us and those who don't know Jesus is exactly that, Jesus himself. And that without him, we are as desperate as anyone. Loving people toward Jesus and the shepherd that they need is our first and primary calling to this world that we live in. People can and will be wrong about countless things. And we'll find ourselves incorrect about a thing or two as well, right? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, we sure will. Any of us, right? And people who don't yet know Jesus will find themselves, as we once were, deeply wrong about some really important and pivotal things. No doubt about it. But we are called to be fluent, not in a logic that will win an argument, but in a love that can and will win over hearts and souls. Peter put it like this in his first letter, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. That's what we're talking about today, right? That each of us in our hearts set aside Christ as the one and only Lord of our lives, on the throne of our lives. And then, but what's the result of that? Here's at least one result. Always be prepared, he says then, to give an answer to everyone who asks, who, to, who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That a result of Jesus being the Lord of my life is that I will be changed and I will, be, I will have a hope that will get the attention of others. And he's saying, look, when people ask you, what's this difference in your life and why in this hopeless situation or 2020, 2021, and 2022, right, in the way the world might look at it, why do you still have hope? Where is that coming from? He says, man, be ready to give an answer to that. Let your changed life speak to those around you. But when you give that answer, do it with gentleness and respect. I think we can admit that in our world today, there are uh, people don't always think of Christian with the words gentleness and respect. Far too often, the opposite. But what I'm finding, and I bet you are too, nothing is really more important in terms of how we represent Christ to those who don't yet know Him than not losing our love for them as expressed in exactly that. Gentleness and respect, not harshness and disregard, which is far too often what we've become known for. When Jesus is my Lord, I will see others as He sees them, and I'm already told how He sees them, with compassion, like sheep without a shepherd, whose prime, and His primary motivation is ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into this field that's ripe and ready for some hope and some love. Paul said this to the Philippians, let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. And that Lord, my Lord, your Lord, 
is far more concerned with me making something right in this world than proving myself right. He's far more concerned with me making a difference in someone's life than just making a point on some issue. When Jesus is increasingly our Lord, here's the next one. Power looks less like authority and more like responsibility. Now, we may not think of ourselves as people concerned much with power, right? That's for politicians or CEOs or whatever. But the fact is, power comes into play in many arenas of our life, at work, at home, our neighborhoods, our marriages, our families. Who directs me and who takes my direction? Who tells me what to do and who does what I say? That's power, at least one aspect of it. And it does come into play in many of our relationships at home and at work and everywhere else. Jesus gives us a whole different perspective on this. In Mark chapter 10, it says he calls his disciples together. And he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, he says. He says, this world and the way it treats power, man, they got a different lord. They take cues from a different philosophy. They define success in a different way. Not so with you. He goes on. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. He's saying there's, this, there's a way that this world will look at what power, uh, success, all of that looks like. And he says, I want to shift your thinking on that. Don't be thinking about how you can be in charge in a way that can control others. But think about what being in charge means in terms of caring for others. Shift the question from who's under my control, that's authority in all of the ways that the world might define it, to who's under my care, that's responsibility. Now, authority is a very real thing. Leading is a very real thing. Servant leadership is a very powerful thing. And, it, and we all, I believe, are called to exercise servant leadership in whatever arena we may find ourselves in. But the, the, when authority comes your way, whether it's at home, at work, in your community, you name it. When authority is given to you, and that's a blessing and it's a real thing to, to receive, we as Christians interpret it differently than the world. When authority comes our way, we don't ask, oh, we don't think, oh, great, now I get to tell people what to do, right? Now people have to do what I say. That's control. No, instead we say, this is a tremendous responsibility. I now have people for whom I care in a, in a now and a more, in a more broad or influential way. I care for them. I serve them, as Jesus talks about. That's responsibility. And that's a proper look at what uh, that kind of power and leadership is supposed to look like. Jesus gives us that. And the more we make Jesus our Lord, the more that becomes true for us. And that really takes us to the next one quite uh, easily. And that is that the more Jesus is my Lord, the more service looks like an opportunity and less like an obligation. In John chapter 13, Jesus famously washes the feet of his disciples, taking on the common job of the lowest household servant in preparation for them sitting down to a meal. It is a wondrous and multifaceted scene. I urge you to read it for yourself. John chapter 13, really internalize all that happens there. 
But after Jesus finishes this task of washing his disciples' feet, this is what he says. Something not just for the people in that upper room at that moment, but really what he's about to say is for all of his followers to come. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. That's exactly what we're talking about today, right? He says, yeah, you call me, Jesus is Lord. We all say that. He says, you, you say that, and you're right when you do. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This tells us something, that our service to other people should not, only, not merely be done out of duty, but out of following the example of our Lord. He says, I've washed your feet, now you wash one another's feet. Now, on this side of these words, we know he's done so much more than just washed feet, right? He's washed our souls. We know that shortly after this, he goes to the cross. We know the level of that sacrifice that he's given. The the depths to which he's lowered himself in love to us, in service to us, to cleanse us. So we now receive that, and we know that any service we render to another, when it's done in the name of our Lord, is merely following His example, an example we can only hope to begin to touch uh, and, and just begin to emulate. It's that powerful, it's that deep, and we're that grateful, and we're that honored to get the chance to follow in His footsteps. He goes on in verse 16. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In this case, we're the servant. He's the master. In this case, we're the messenger. He's the one who sins. And he died for us. He says, so now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. He says, if this is the depth of service I'm willing to give, you're not better than me. I'm the Son of God. And so as you follow in my footsteps, do these things. You'll find blessing when you do. Do ministry. Serve others. It's not a got to, it's a get to. I get to do this. In the name of the Lord I love so much. This is a recurring ethic for us as disciples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says there are different kinds of service, but what? The same Lord. Your service will look different than someone else's service, will look different than my service. What's important is that we're all throwing our shoulder behind the wheel of that service. Peter puts it like this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. It is an opportunity to be more like our Lord, not just an obligation, okay, yeah, sure, i got to serve, the Bible says so. It is an opportunity to become more like Jesus. A couple more. When Jesus increasingly becomes my Lord, then as I interact with others in this world, I begin to see them more and more as image bearers and not just categorized by their identity or whether they're my friend or my enemy. Let me explain. We live in a world that loves to label and categorize and then separate and judge, right? According to race, according to economic level, according to education, according to attractiveness, on and on and on. And all of this, this human habit that we've that we've been at uh, since the beginning. All of this leads to terrible results, deep injustice, personal cruelty, all kinds of terrible fruit from this practice. The effects of these labels 
that happen in this categorizing. These effects are real. Their implications can't be ignored by us as Christians. But there's always more. In Christ's kingdom, there's so much more than just this, what we see happening. Romans chapter 10. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Those are the most used categories in, the day, in Paul's day. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The same Lord is Lord of all. So when I go out into the world, when I interact with other human beings, I need to be reminded that the more I make Jesus my Lord, the more I realize that He wants to be everyone's Lord. And that every single human that I interact with was God's idea. Made to reflect His image. Now, is everyone doing that right now? No. Did I always do that? No. Do, do I do that on any given day? Uh, yes and no, right? right? We're all working at that. We're all, we're all uh, experiencing that on, in an ongoing way. But any sense of equality and equity must begin with the understanding that we all equally need God. We're all lost without Him. And He loves us all with perfect equity and justice and grace. So that affects the way we treat others and the way we see them. And we don't treat others only according to whether they are an enemy or an ally. That's the world's way of categorizing as well, right? Do you agree with me? Do you not agree with me? That will then determine how I treat you. What category do you fall in in all the categories that we might form in our, uh, in our minds? That's the way of the world. But we're called to see that every single human is known and loved by God and has the potential to reflect His glory in beautiful ways as they say yes to Jesus. That the same Lord is Lord of all, or can be. This is the way James puts it, man, with a lot of conviction. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. Again, we are people who say Jesus is Lord. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Anyone been tempted to curse a human being over the last year or two? Right? Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. How often is that true? But friends, you and I, the more we make Jesus Lord over this area of our hearts and minds, our thoughts, our perspectives, the more we make Jesus Lord, the more we're called to love and not label. Create ways to embrace, not perpetuate more enmity. One more before we close. The more we make Jesus Lord, the more we begin to see that trials as we face them will not break us, but build us. Making Jesus Lord does not mean everything in our lives will go smoothly. Can I get an amen? We know that's true. But remember these words from Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. See, when Jesus is Lord, even of our trials and our difficulties and our challenges, we will keep looking to Him and remembering how He faced His own trials. And the trials He faced will always, in the end, be more deep and serious than our own. He gives us this ultimate example as He faced the cross. 
The passage goes on, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Man, I love this. As we face the trials that life will bring us, and we will, we have the opportunity to remember the hostility that Jesus endured. And when we remember Him, this is part of what it means to have a Lord. This is, the, this is one of the great benefits of His Lordship. Is what we get His example and we can be inspired by it. Think of what He endured. And you won't grow weary. And more importantly, you won't give up. Your trials won't crush you, but construct you. God will leverage them. Your Lord is an expert at leveraging those trials to build and grow us in our maturity in the faith. James puts it like this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. And that kind of brings us full circle, right? Our love for the Lord is the driver of what it all means. Now, how do we sum up? I've shared a lot here in just a few minutes, and I know it's been kind of you know, a lot to take in. How do we sum all this up? Well, when Jesus is Lord, I'm not. Thank God. I try all the time to be the king and the ruler of my life. It never works. I'll never be the Lord and leader, the king and the captain that Jesus is and can be in my life. In Luke 6, he simply asks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That cuts me every time. In Colossians, Paul writes, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. That's what we're summing up right now. That's what we're talking about. Perhaps you've named Jesus Lord at one point. I'm asking you to make sure that you're naming Him Lord today and tomorrow. Not just an advisor, but the one who's in charge. Well, see, when there's a big difference, and we can be tempted to just kind of take advice from Jesus or think about it. When, when I make Jesus my Lord, I don't just think about getting around to forgiving those who've hurt me. I set myself on a path to forgive. Why? Because it's what my Lord said to do. When I make Jesus my Lord, not just my, uh, my guidance or my, my, the, my guide, I, I don't just take under advisement, for instance, the command to not get drunk. I take it as the good and wise direction that it is. When I keep making Jesus my Lord, I don't hear the direction to keep sex inside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman as an outdated, prudish restriction. Instead, I receive it as instruction from the one who invented it and knows far better than I ever will. See, that's why, and I could go on and on with more and more examples. You could come up with your own too. I don't just take under advisement what my Lord says. That's what lordship means. It means I believe he's right about everything and he's worthy of my total devotion. That's what lordship means. One last thought before I pray. You'll notice on the graphic that I made here that the like button is grayed out, right? Can't really click on that. It's not really an option to just approve of or think, yep, thumbs up. I like what Jesus has to say. He doesn't really give us the option. We either reject him or we make him Lord. I'm inviting you to make Jesus the king of your life and the Lord of your life every day of your life, including the next 365. It's not always easy, but it is uncomplicated. Will Jesus be Lord 
of this decision, of this situation, of this relationship, of, of this uh, work that I have to do, on and on and on. In one sense, he's already king. But amazingly, he will wait for me and you to cede the territory of our heart and life to him. When we do, our, our vocation will look less like work and more like worship. Obedience will feel less like denial and a lot more like devotion. Our world seems not like a fight to win, but a field to harvest. Power is not about authority, but responsibility. Service is much more an opportunity than it's an obligation. Other people are seen by us as image bearers of God, not just identities or labels that have been given to them. And the trials we face, and we will face them, they won't break us. They'll build us instead. When that happens, Jesus is becoming the Lord of our lives more and more and more. What will 2022 contain? Only God knows. But I want to keep asking Him to be Lord of it all. Let's pray about that. Lord, we thank You that You are Lord of all, and but we also recognize, Lord, that it's, it's very, very, very good for us to declare out loud and to keep deciding, keep choosing, keep telling ourselves and you, we're not Lord. We don't want to be. We're not good at it. It doesn't work. We want you to be our Lord. Lord of every decision. Lord of every relationship. Lord of, Lord of all the tasks you put before us. Lord of each of our days, our weeks our months and years. Lord, thank you that that's the kind of prayer you love to say yes to, that you will be our Lord. We'll accept that gift you give us and you will indeed take your rightful place on the throne of our lives. And so do that, Lord, again today. In Jesus' name, amen.